I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take some of the hottest plays and transform them into contemporary audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me. Our next play in our season is the Tarragon Theatre's Bunny by acclaimed playwright Hannah Moscovich. It was originally commissioned by the Stratford Festival in 2016 and is currently on stage at the Tarragon until April 1st, 2018 in Toronto, Canada. This is the first of three episodes of Bunny. And if you're in Toronto, Canada and would like to see the live performance, we have a promo code, Bunny20, which will give you 20% off tickets. Just go to playmepodcast.com and under the listen page, you'll find the promo code and a link to buy tickets. Aroused by inappropriate love, a young woman discovers the power of her own allure. Dangerous and disorienting, Bunny is a play about repressive social convention, personal inhibition, and desire unleashed. Bunny was written by Hannah Moscovich and features Gabriella Obino, Mev Beatty, Rachel Karens, Matthew Edison, Cyrus Lane, Jesse Lavercombe, Antonio Fori. The original theatrical production was directed by Sarah Garten Stanley. This is episode one of Bunny. Sorrel is with Angel in the canoe. It's one of those red canoes that Canadians with summer properties own. A lot of families have photographs of smiling kids swaddled in life jackets sitting in this canoe. Quiet out here. Sorrel can barely see Maggie now with her stretched skin and stuffed bra and Lola in her summer dress sitting on the shore. This what they mean by a low sky? Clouds that are low? Water's green. Sorrel should tell Angel to turn back. You have a lot of green in you. It's your veins, I think. Under your skin. Bunny! You look. Let's go back. Yeah, we could walk around that island. <laughs> Let's get out on that island. We'll get cut up. By what? Brambles. Nah, I've been out on it before. There's a slope with some grass on one side. We could lie down. Look up at the sky through the trees let's, and the let's underbrush. Go back. It's getting late. We've been out here an hour. I don't think you've been sitting out here with me for an hour without thinking... Thinking that... Angel, come on. Let's go back now. I'm not... I'm not... It's not I'm funny. Being, I, I know, I know how bad it is. I've thought about it. And she, 
she likes me and she's young and her You're mother's young. I'm young. Yeah. I'm young. But she's younger. I know it probably doesn't matter, but I haven't said anything to her. I haven't done anything with her. There's, there's no... That that there's young. nothing. We're... No. We're gonna stay out here until we... At least... This'll sound young, too. And stupid, but I'm getting drunk. I'm getting loaded to not think about you. I want to... So badly... Oh, Sorrel. Don't you want to be good? Don't you want to be normal? Don't you want to be good and normal? Let me catch you up on Sorrel. Sorrel lived a strange sort of childhood in the small Ontario University town where her mother and father taught at the small Ontario University. Her parents were intellectuals of a certain bent. Featured on their coffee table was Simone de Beauvoir, Betty Friedan, and Das Kapital. Over dinner, her mother and father discussed a heady mix of municipal political failures, and sociological abstractions. What to do about the wetlands? When will the bus routes go out to the suburbs? Does the Holocaust refute relativism? Can you indeed reconcile Christianity with radical feminism? Sorrel and her little brothers, Eugene and Chandler, played with gender-neutral toys from Sweden, which fostered dialogue, cooperation, and self-respect. In Sorrel's household, carob was dessert. Reading passages of Canadian poetry aloud was entertainment. And canoeing was the only sport encouraged and the only concession made to fitting in and to not becoming fundamentally alienated from conventional culture. Until Sorrel turned 17, she was dressed in elasticized pants. Her parents bought clothes for their children at secondhand shops, but they weren't um, hipster vintage clothes. They were actual ugly cast-offs. Lumpy sweaters, dour blouses. Sorrel's parents didn't approve of beauty. Unless Van Gogh had painted it, and then it could be visited at a public art gallery with impunity. For most of Sorrel's high school career, she was friendless and quietly weird, She couldn't swap pop culture references, so she wasn't in possession of the raw materials necessary to make friends. She didn't even seem to fit in with the geeky kids who told algebraic jokes and played a lot of games involving dragons and ten-sided dice. So Sorrel stuck to the sidelines, where she could be found eating her sesame granola snacks and alfalfa sandwiches and tearing through all available Victorian literature from her high school and public libraries, with an emphasis on Jane Austen, the Bronte sisters, and in particular, George Eliot. In the time-honored way of lonely girls, books were Sorrel's friends. She floated through high school, head down, eyes misted over, lost in the long romantic sentences on the moor, or in an attic, or at a ball with the heroine of a Victorian novel. No one, no one except her teachers, noticed her much. 
that is. Until she turned 17. And late puberty produced a supermodel physique just as her cheekbones sharpened and all her facial features came into focus. The boys at her small Ontario high school were suddenly horny for her and very confused. She was a hot dork. And because she was the object of so much male attention all at once, and there was a glut, she became an even bigger anomaly, a dorky slut. In one school year, she kissed 19 boys and won all the science awards. She quickly got a reputation for blowing anyone. It wasn't true. She kissed anyone and blew some people. Sorrel should admit to you that she liked the feeling of boys, in particular the warm saliva and the fumbling and the way they gripped her when she kissed them. She sometimes forgot herself completely, and once she even took her own shirt off. The boy backed up, apprehensive, and said with a stammer that he, he wasn't ready and didn't know how. For the young men of Sorrel's high school career, the whiff of... Fuckability trumped any and all weirdness and smartness. The girls, on the other hand. At Sorrel's high school, the popular girls were sporty and innocent, enthusiastic about track and field, and regressed on the topic of sex. The unspoken rule, a rule Sorrel didn't know because she had no friends, was that any and all female sexual activity had to be justified through drunkenness or love. Sorrel, who didn't run around the track in plastic shorts and who made out with boys while sober and without obsessing over them afterwards, seemed to the girls like a depraved freak. Once the girls loathed Sorrel, loathed her, and that loathing hit a certain pitch, Sorrel was galvanized to apply the full force of her analytic mind to deciphering why, why? What exactly she had done to warrant being accused in half-whispers of having genital lice or of smelling like vagina? Sorrel had slowly, achingly begun to comprehend that she had to be somebody's girlfriend if she was going to kiss them. And that's when Justin, son of a farmer, captain of the football team, asked her to prom. Sorrel? Is that your name? Yeah. Is that your lunch? Yeah. You don't like the cafeteria? Mm. I'm doing math homework because I gotta pull my grades up in math. <laughs> That's why I'm in the library. Um, this is all wrong. It is? Yeah, all, all of it. You're good at math? Yeah, but... Not compared to people who are good at math. Math teachers! Uh, um, no. Uh, I was at the planetarium with my family, and the guide asked a question about the orbit of planets. She said, does anyone know how the orbit of Jupiter compares to the orbit of Saturn? And um, Eugene, my brother, he said, well, what's their mass? And then he gave her the mathematical answer to her question. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, so in my family, I'm... It's just in high school that I'm so freakishly smart because it's such a breeding ground for mediocrity. Uh, 
What's your family like? Uh, my dad's a farmer. My mom's a mom. She's Catholic. She has these hedgehogs for pets. They're like uh, little pin cushions running around the house. <laughs> but yeah, my family's pretty normal. Besides the hedgehogs. What are you reading? Mm. Oh, oh, so you are an open-minded girl, huh? No, it's a book. Last week, I found my dad's porn collection, and I'm not going to lie, I looked at a lot of... It's, no, it's not pornography. It's a book written in the Victorian... Just happens to have a picture of a naked woman on the cover. Yeah? Yeah, that's <laughs> just the cover art. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? What's wrong with your eye? Got in a fight. You did? Why? Got bored. It's turned purple above your eye. It looks like eyeshadow. Uh, what? No, it's nice. It widens your eye. It makes you look... Sorry. Uh, no. Uh... Is your mom strict? <laughs> she spends a lot of time worrying about if my brother loses his virginity or not because she's... Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, my older brother... He's 19. He's sworn that he'd save it till marriage, but mom still leaves pamphlets around the house about the benefits of virginity, and she's always... Hovering? When he, yeah, when he, uh, when he has girls over. And if he brings a girl to his room and closes the door, mom stands in the hallway and just... <laughs> Claws her face off. But the thing is, I'm who she should have been worried about because I'm not a virgin. What was it like? It was, uh, we're having a very sexual conversation. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a girl as pretty as you before. You're very, you're almost kind of. But why are you wearing those clothes? Uh, yeah, I should get some new ones. This is old. It's too short. Like, if I grow, like, just another inch... Hey, uh, do you want to go to prom with me? And, and what? And be your... your girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Uh, you just met me. <laughs> no, yeah. No, it just, we haven't even kissed. There was something so clean about Justin. The way his sweat smelled like grass. The way he smiled and clicked at her when he passed her in the hallway. <laughs> the way he tussled good-naturedly with the other boys on the football team, masculine and kittenish. Justin had recently transferred from a rural school to play football in town, and... Whatever scandal hung in the air around Sorrel, all Justin saw was that she was as pretty as he was handsome. And that's why he asked her to prom. His subconscious desire to reach aesthetic equilibrium with a babe. Justin saved Sorrel from the darker manifestations of high school hatred. But she should perhaps admit to you that the damage was, in many ways, done. Because... Rejection clings to the skin. It deforms the heart. 
She should perhaps also admit to you that she missed kissing all the boys. Sorrel lost her virginity prom night, like a cheerleader, in the family home, in her childhood bedroom, and loudly enough to wake the dead. Are, are you going to do it? Uh, I am. I'm loaded, so I'm just trying to... Uh, okay, I'm... Do it. Okay, I'm trying. I, I can't just... Just do it. Okay? Jesus. I'm here. I'm doing it. Ow. Uh, there. This feels good. It hurts, but keep doing it. I think it'll ow, hurt less in a second. It hurts? No, it hurts. don't stop. Just It hurts more when you stop. No, don't stop. Okay. It hurts more when you stop. Just do it. Just do it. Okay, I, I'm doing it. I, I'm doing it. Oh. Uh, wait. No, ow. No? No, yes. No, yes. No, yes. I, like, love you. Please, you're traumatizing me. Yes or no? Yes. You love me, right? I, uh, yeah. It feels good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. It's supposed to. Oh, it, oh God. It feels uh, really good. Can you move more? Move? Move more. Oh, you mean like like do it harder? Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll try. I'm like numb. I'm so drunk right now. Uh, uh, oh, 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 this is... Uh, this is... Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, quiet down, Jesus. Your parents? They can't hear. Why not? Why can't they hear? Why can't they hear? Sorrel whimsically believed that when you were having sex, you couldn't be heard. Sorrel's parents were prudish. Despite their avowed endorsement of sex, and she was informed of the noise level at the weekly family meeting. Sorrel dissolved into embarrassment when her mother pushed her glasses up her nose and said, The sound of the female orgasm is beautiful, Sorrel, but we were trying to sleep. After high school graduation, Sorrel moved out of the family home and, in an orgy of repressed capitalism, bought a chandelier and a fur coat from the local vintage warehouse. Her tiny bachelorette was full of cheap glitter. She visited Justin on his farm and fucked him three times a day in his truck, their legs entangled in the back seat, horses roaming in the background. She shot BB guns with him and jumped into swamps. Hey, when you were little, what was your chief fear? Uh... Uh... Mine was uh, getting my tongue stuck to a frozen pole, that, and finding insects in my food. I was so scared of insects, my parents sent me to therapy... Yeah? Yeah, I did six months of insect psychotherapy. What were you frightened of? Uh... Monsters under my bed? Getting my dick caught in a lawnmower. 
the girlfriend uh, before me that you were with, that you had sex with? Oh, her. She wasn't a girlfriend. It was only one time. Why? Uh, she was at my canoe camp. We got bored and left alone. And she was like, you want to? And I was like, yeah. But I felt kind of bad afterwards. Why? It was... Rushed. I mean, I didn't need it to be very... uh, But it wasn't even... Affectionate. Mm. Justin? Yeah? The thing is... Last night when we had dinner with your family, um, I think their um, uh, socioeconomic reference points are somewhat different mm-hmm. than mine because um, because because they're farmers. So that's mm-hmm. but they don't um, talk about uh, socioeconomic policy or women's rights. Uh, they talk about what TV they watched or. Uh, mm. what they ate and how the food tasted or what the hedgehogs did. Mm. Justin, I get so bored that sometimes I think I'm going to go into spasms. Um, <laughs> I like them, but... And then I saw your mother scrape a moth off her plate and go on eating. Two of its legs were stuck in the food and they were still moving. I, I, I was thinking that I would wait until the fall to say something, but that dinner was horrible and I can't... I can't... Oh, no, don't cry. You were such a good first boyfriend. I'm going to go get in your truck. In the fall, Justin would stun his family by enlisting in the army and some years later be shipped off to Afghanistan to fight against something vague. Terrorism. That at the time was taking the form of the Taliban. Sorrel would go on full scholarship to university. Some years later, she would be sitting in the breakfast nook with her husband and would click on an article about Canada's war debt and learn that Justin had been killed in Panjwai, Afghanistan by an improvised explosive device. She would excuse herself from the breakfast table and go upstairs and cry. Like many smart, small-town girls, Sorrel was primed to bloom at university. Mainly because smartness went from being a semi-embarrassment to being the whole point. But the trouble with Sorrel was... Sorrel? Yeah. That your name? I liked your comment in class. Oh, I... It made me think I should show you my work sometime. My artwork, I, uh... I do Victorian needlepoint, but instead of doing, you know, flowers and dogs, I do women... Women at the office, or naked in a bed, or standing in front of the fridge in a red string. You look scared. Uh, uh, no, I... You a visual arts student? No, I uh, uh, wanted to take art history, but um, I'm 
uh, taking a lot of literature classes, but it feels cheap because I read a lot of literature in high school because I was a loser. <laughs> or, um, not a loser. I had uh, less friends than the losers, and uh, I thought that the losers were you know, losers. The hallway where they hung out had a smell, and... Uh, oh, did you think I was being mean just now? I wasn't. I was thinking that you're charming. That's why I was smiling. Not because I thought, I'm Maggie. Sorrel. I know. Right. Sorry. You knew my name. Sorry. <laughs> Don't be scared. Sorrel, yes, met Maggie at university. Maggie, who was... Um, Maggie... But the trouble with Sorrel at university was, not only did she pass with flying colors and other cliches, but she was so exceptionally well-suited to university, her fit with her new environment was such a Darwinian triumph that it brought her to the attention of her teachers. I have a, um, a quick question about my... Um exam? If you want to contest your grade, it's better to come to my office hours. We can no. sit down. Uh, and no, no, it's not that. You look familiar. Um, I take your class. There are a thousand of you in there, so I don't think that's it. I sit in the front row. Oh, you work at that bar, the one with the pinball machine. I, yeah, I, yeah. You've served me, right? Yep. How many times? Mm, ten. Ten? Ten times? Why didn't you say hello? Uh, well, there are a thousand of us in there or so. I didn't think that taking your class was basis for a personal... Also, I get uh, nervous talking to people that I don't know, which, yeah, uh, incidentally makes working in a bar difficult. Um, but I'm trying to uh, drink more at work. That helps. Uh, yeah, uh, you wrote on my exam, you wrote, come see me. Oh, yeah. You. You scored 100%. I, yep. Yeah. That's the only time that's happened in 11 years. Oh, well, it, it, I like the class. You like the class? Good. You, you're... What do you like about the class? Um... Uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, uh, I can answer. Um... I knew when I came to university that I would learn, but I didn't know that I would feel closeness to someone else's mind. Uh, so, does that answer your... Yep. Uh, I need your permission. I told a couple of the other students that someone had scored 100%, and they asked to see your exam. They want to know... Well, I suppose they want to know what perfection looks like. Tune in next week for the next episode of Bunny by Hannah Moskovich. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our shows, leave a comment, or let us know what you think of our podcast. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. 
The associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. This episode was edited by Chris Tolley. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, Factory Theatre, Tarragon Theatre, and the Musical Stage Company. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.